Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 565. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, um, I'm going to play a few clips from people that I think most of our audience does not know. Dak Prescott, Skip Bayless. We're going to talk about... Um, depression and stigma against mental wellness. Well, now stop for a second, because yep. you're like, people that our listeners don't know, Are they? where are they from? Who are they? Sweet, it's called a tease. I'm teasing. Oh, but it's not a very interesting tease. Like, I'd be like... Quarterback, what? Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Dak go. Prescott, and yeah. Skip Bayless, journalist, TV personality. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like, what what happened? I think my, mine was more interesting, oh. sweetie. Um, but first... Uh, a few things. Um, you know Cecilia and Jason Hilke, don't you, sweetie? I do. They are our good friends. They're like kind of like our compadres. I don't even know what that means. Uh, well, we do very similar things, and we're very similar people and similar couples. So we just kind of like feel connected to them. Except I have a lot more hair on my head than Jason. This is true. No offense. This is true. Um, they invite us to be speakers on their ninth annual online parenting conference. I don't yep. know if it's annual or not. Ninth we've, online. We've, we've done a few of them. Yeah, I think this is our third go around. So the Happily Family Conference, it's a free virtual event that is life-changing and global. Uh, it's for parents who come together for a few days online from over 187 countries. That's crazy. I know. They have a really wide reach, yeah. Cecilia and Jason. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, to learn how to raise resilient and connected kids in an anxious world. How about that? Yep. Do you remember what we're presenting, sweetie? We actually talked about race. Yes. How to talk to your kids about race. We talked about racial justice, spiritual bypassing, and why white parents need to talk about race. Mm -hmm. To get your free tickets, go to conference.happilyfamily.com. That's happily like happily ever after. It all goes live on October 5th. And I'll include this in our show notes, too, so you don't have to write all that stuff down. But, um, uh, yeah, so that's the deal. It's the deal. Okay, so you were going – there was a question that a listener wrote in with, right? Yeah, I'm still not done with my announcements. I was messing with you, sweetie. We One week from tomorrow, me and John Duffy are presenting a workshop, What Dads Miss. It's only for people who identify as male. So that's a great title. Yes, you came up with it. Yes. What dads miss? Why you hold the power to connect with your kids? John Duffy, our friend, he's been on the podcast a bunch of times. He and I are going to uh, lead a workshop on the Tribe Men's Group uh, website platform that I helped co-found. Uh, if you're interested, go to tribemensgroup.org and click on events. So Dr. Duffy is the, not only is he our friend, but he is the author of Parenting, The New Teen in the Age of Anxiety. So and also um, author of The Available Parent. Correct. So anyways, but uh, yeah, let's do our quick take here. So uh, one of our listeners um, wrote to us and she wanted to know if we can throw our two cents on this issue. Parents sharing vulnerable pictures of their kids. Mm -hmm. She says, I cringe when I see parents post pictures of their kids in the emergency room or when they're in emotional, physical pain of some sort. The picture that prompted this email is that of a child, probably six or seven, with his hands over his ears and in tears over his online learning situation. Mm. When I see this, I can't help but think the parents share deeply personal and vulnerable moments that kids would prefer to keep private. And I sense that parents do so to navigate their own need for assurance, support in the moment. Does this have the potential to cause harm for the child? Is it teaching them to adopt poor coping habits or am I making that up? Would love to hear your take. For more context, I am not a parent, so maybe I'm missing that this practice is therapeutic and beneficial to some. I can imagine it is incredibly difficult to see your child in pain. 
Well, I guess I'll speak to both sides of this. I think that the reason that the vast majority of parents post pictures of their kids often in what we would call vulnerable situations is because they want to know that they're not alone and that others can relate to their experience. I would say that the first instinct or maybe impulse in doing it is just that. I feel alone. Can anyone relate? Um, so that's usually why is that I, I would say to this person who wrote the email, I, there's probably very little ill intent when people, when parents do it, but to your question is, can it be harmful? Um, yeah, it can. And, and let me explain why, like, if you look up, you know, posting pictures of your kids on social media, a lot of times you'll see the things that are a little more far-fetched. Like, you know, your kid could be then um, kidnapped because mm. now people have pictures of their your kid or now your kid has a social profile and people in college might see them when they're a child, that kind of thing. That, and I'm not saying those things are impossible, but those really wouldn't be my rationale to parents. I think I would think to myself, this is a relationship that I'm having with my child especially when they get to an age, you know, I think anything above like five, especially where they do have their own peer relationships, they kind of have their own experience, even if it's not at all close to being an adult experience yet. And just thinking to ourselves, if I was in relationship with someone and they were posting pictures of me, would I be okay with those pictures? Like would, you know, the pictures that other people I love are posting of me, do I, do I think that's okay? Um, I post pictures of my kids occasionally, um, and but I ask them. Now my kids are older, but I've been asking them. Let's see, I've been on social media, I don't know, nine, ten years. Mm -hmm. How long has it been around? I don't know. I, it's probably been around a lot longer. You and I kind of got on Facebook a little late. Um, I think we just had our nine-year friendiversary or something like that. Oh, happy friendiversary, sweetie. Happy friendiversary. But when the kids were really, really little, maybe I would post a picture of the three of them together and, you know, especially if it was like a Mother's Day photo or something. But as they've gotten older, especially since they've gotten older, it's it's asking them first, are you guys cool with this picture? Um, is it okay if I post this? Um, and they've been pretty vocal with us. Like one of my daughters doesn't love it when we even comment under her pictures because she'd prefer to have it. Because our comments make the post uncool. Well, it, it's That's embarrassing, I, I think. I think she just like, you know, she's a, one of our daughters has a page that she wants to keep kind of as her own thing. And she doesn't want a bunch of family members posting hearts and I love yous underneath it. And she has a right to that. Like I in no way I'm like, oh, you're no fun. But I think I'm getting away from her question, which is, I think the there are different reasons why parents post pictures of their kids. And while rarely, if ever, is there harmful intent, I think sometimes we can think about why we are and maybe get, um, there are other ways that you can ask questions about, like, for example, if a kid, if your kid is tantruming during um, you know, during the remote learning, do you have to post a picture of your kid or can you post a picture of a cartoon or of maybe a stock photo and ask the same question? Um, it's just something to consider. I, again, this is, I just feel like we're so, we don't really know the impact of all these pictures we've been posting yet. And there may be none. It may be so normal, normalized that it's kind of a non-issue. Um, but I look at, posting pictures similar to how I look at any relationship. How would that person, how would I feel about it? And do I honor the person in front of me and first get their approval? Does Can that I, make sense? 
Yes, it does. And I want to play a clip from a movie that we like to call American Beauty. And it just reminds me of annoying things that parents do. Do we like to call it American Beauty? Yeah. What do you like to call it? But isn't it just called American Beauty? Yes, that's besides <laughs> the point. So this is the part where, I don't know, it won Best Picture, I think. So it did. this is a very good film. And there's uh, the daughter just finished a cheerleading thing at halftime of the basketball game. And the parents are outside waiting for her. Yes, I and know the scene you're So it's a really about. funny scene. I don't know if it'll connect with what we're talking about, but I don't care because it makes me laugh. She's still here. Janie! Hey, I really enjoyed that. Congratulations, honey. You were great. I didn't win anything. Hi, I'm Lester, Janie's dad. Oh, hi. This is my friend, Angela Hayes. Okay. Good to meet you. Ew. You were also good tonight. Very... Precise. Thanks. Yeah, nice to meet you, Angela. Honey. Oh, I am so proud of you. You know, I watched you very closely. You didn't screw up once. That's the line I wanted to play. I know. I feel like you should cut uh, it out. Maybe I'll cut it out. Because Who knows? it's Kevin Spacey. He's creepy. He's creepy. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it just reminds me of parents just being a little too, um, what's the word that these kids use these days? Uh, a little too extra. A little too. Well, and you know, I think the reason, can I get deep a second about American Beauty? You can. And then I do have three takes on this picture that just came up to me, this question that this listener okay. had. Okay. So let me say the reason that that's a little, first of all, that has really nothing to do with social networking. So it's kind of a random, but. It's just annoying parents Annoying stuff. parents and stuff. Annoying parents behavior. But why that's kind of, that scene, why Janie is like so grossed out and annoyed at her parents, besides the fact that her dad is leering at her friend, is that they're totally not engaged in her life whatsoever. Right. And then they come to this thing and they're like, oh, I watched you and you didn't mess up and now I'm proud. Yeah. It, she feels the inauthenticity. the inauthenticity and also the judgment and also the deciding whether or not she's worthy in that moment. Yes. They feel she knows all of it. Yes. So um, do you think that movie holds up as best picture? I think it's a wonderful movie. I, does it hold up? I don't the know. Content, I'd have I to rewatch it to figure out if it holds up, but I just remember it being a, just a very special, interesting, different film. That I, it was interesting and different. Um, I just kind of feel like the content, like I think, I don't think that movie would come out today. Do you know what I mean? Because of the um, dad, yeah. because of Kevin's, not only would Kevin Spacey not be in it, but the whole thing is about his infatuation with an underage girl. girl. Yeah. Yeah. So here's my take on the question. Okay. So three very different, I don't know, for lack of a better term, pieces of advice. Okay. Before you post anything about your kids, I would say kind of what you said, either ask or like, and if you like wait 24 hours, kind of like when, whenever I want to do something significant, like buy something on Amazon for like 200 bucks, like give it a day. Do I really need that thing? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is when in doubt, don't do it. I mean, unless you're sure that this is a good idea, don't do it. But the third thing is I'm thinking about it, you know, in, in the example that this listener gave is, you know, this kid was in pain, right? Yeah. I would say, unless you're willing to post a picture of yourself in pain, what right do you, do I have as the parent to post my kids? Like, it's almost like, and that's like an exercise of empathy. Like, what is it? Well, because my guess is the mom or the dad would be like, well, I don't want to do that. That's too scary and vulnerable. But it's okay if my kid's in pain because it's my kid. It's That's an interesting barometer. 
It's yeah. kind of like, do would I want a picture of myself screaming? And we may say, but it's a kid. Why is it any different? Right. He's, it really a, he's, a, different. he's a human being. Yeah. So this is it's an interesting discussion. And I don't think there's an absolute answer of don't post pictures of your kids or do. It's about why, when, how vulnerable they feel, if they're on board. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of different variables. But I think that what your question brings up for everybody, including Todd and I, is at least being conscious of why you're doing it. Yeah. Right? Um, so this, and I don't know how far into the show we'll get with this. So I was um, scanning through YouTube or something about two or three days ago, and I came across this article about Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And just to kind of give you some like information to set this up, uh, I don't know much about Dak. I, I know that he's just a really good quarterback, but I don't know any, much about his personal life. But he revealed a piece of himself um, in an interview that he gave within the last week, and he was sharing these things that I'll play for you about, and and there's two significant things that happened to Dak. One happened to all of us, which is COVID, and he Mm -hmm. found himself having these um, depressive thoughts. He Mm -hmm. was in some type of depression, Mm -hmm. which was new to him. And then there's other, another second very big thing that happened in his life is his brother had uh, died by suicide. Mm. So, but so Dak uh, shares some of these vulnerable feelings in an interview. So I'm going to play that for you right now. Okay. Uh, it's only let's see how long. It's not a long. It's less than a minute. So here's Dak's or Dak. All throughout this this quarantine and this off season, I started experiencing emotions I've never felt before. Um, anxiety for the main one. And then, honestly, a couple of days before my brother passed, I would say I started experiencing depression. Didn't know necessarily what I was going through, uh, to to say the least. What was your reaction? Uh, I mean, obviously tears and tears and tears, but I mean, I sat there and tried to to gather what had happened um, and wanted to ask why for so many reasons. It was like this sense of of all these emotions coming off of my back and wiped up my tears probably after crying for 30 minutes with my dad and my, uh, and, and my, my best friends who were all came to, you know, con- to console me and to be there. I'm going to... Okay, so stop there. When I saw that, I'm like, what a wonderful display of mature masculinity or mature human behavior. And, and again, I know, and Todd's always like, Kathy, you're way too far one way where you think these things are normal, but... I want to be like, of course he felt that way. Mm-hmm. He's talking about we're in living in the middle of a pandemic and his brother is so he's talking about he cried and had that experience after he found out his brother was had died. Yes. Yeah, I don't know the timeline, but re- even if it was just COVID, like who cares if it's right. a, 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 it doesn't really matter what it is. The matter for me, it's it's a, a man being owning himself enough and brave enough to do what is something we're not allowed to do very often, which is to be honest and express our emotions and then talk about them afterwards. And I would be a lot more scared if he didn't feel that way. That would mean that he is completely disconnected from the way he feels and completely disconnected from what just happened. So I totally understand why you're bringing it up from a male perspective. And I would just say that from a clinical perspective, thank goodness, because that's what humans need right. to feel. This is a good thing. Correct. So now let's move on to Skip. And Skip is a TV personality. He does a, a show with Shannon Sharp, who's a former Denver Bronco. And this was his take. And then we'll have a discussion about it. 
or at least this is part of his take. I'm going to ask our audience to feel free to go ahead and condemn me if you choose as cold-blooded and insensitive on this issue. I have deep compassion for clinical depression, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to the quarterback of an NFL team, you know this as well as I, better than I do, it's the ultimate leadership position in sports. Am I right about that? Mm -hmm. Because of all that, I don't have sympathy for him going public with, I got depressed. I suffered depression early in COVID to the point that I couldn't even go work out. Look, he's the quarterback of America's team. And you know, and I know the sport that you play, it is dog eat dog. It is no compassion, no quarter given on the football field. If, if you reveal publicly any little weakness, it can affect your team's ability to believe in you in the toughest spots. And it definitely can encourage others on, on the other side yeah. to come after you. You throw an interception, you're gonna hear, you depressed number four, you know, get, get that yeah. sort of thing. You get sacked, how'd that feel? You getting down about it? You, you just can't go public with it in my humble opinion. And there we go. So what did Shannon say back to that? Uh, or was he talking Shannon to Shannon? Shannon is his business partner. They're on the show every day. He disagreed. Shannon is on board with what most people would think. Skip is uh, really, he's controversial. And I think he does it sometimes for the sake of the controversy, because had it not been uh, for his controversial moment, we would not be talking about him right now. I oh, think that it. he likes to be talked about and he has ratings and he wants to boost and all of a sudden there's a boost in the ratings. So, but when I first, like there's a, there's a very seductive part of me that wants to just demonize Skip Bayless and there's an egoic part of me that feels justified in doing that. Mm-hmm. But I would rather, and I want to hear your two cents on, on what your reaction was to the sweetie, but when I, um, the, Skip is representing, and I'm going to speak about this from the male perspective. I know this is a human being thing. It's not just male, but I'm going to speak about it from the male perspective. What Skip is saying is what we are taught and is reinforced until from the time where we turn three years old until we die by society, by people. And I just want to bring light to it. Like I, I saw this as an opportunity for us to eat, talk about the same thing in a slightly different way is that the lies that we're taught as men of what it means to be a man is so misguided. Society has conditioned us to, to integrate a, a, a very what's the word, error-filled perception of what it means to be a human being or what it means to be a man. And I want to use this platform and play skip so that we can talk about it. And and I just want to honor and bless Dak Prescott. It's easy for me to demonize Skip Bayless, but I'm also here to say this is what we're taught. Right. Yeah. Well, um, what I would say, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, it's this... This separation, I understand you're taught it. 
you and I have been talking about, um, you know, masculinity and, and, and what some people call like a more toxic version. It's not that masculinity is toxic. It means that there's a piece of what's taught. We can call it the man box. Mm -hmm. Let's stay away from the word toxic for now because people get really up in arms about it. There's this belief, this set of beliefs that's offered to men that's really narrow and constricted, Mm -hmm. right? You know, you can have these emotions, but not these. You can have this experience, but not this. You can look this way, but not that, you know, whatever it may be. But it's not just about, I understand you know, why he's saying that and that's his viewpoint. And and I, I would love to like dissect even some of his words, but I think the piece that needs to be taught rather than this is just the way men are taught to be is how limited and untrue it is. Meaning that we have this belief system that toughness just comes from being tough. We're like, you're either tough or you're not, you know, you're either strong or you're weak. And we don't understand the duality of things that strength comes from moments of weakness, hmm. that toughness comes from times when we had no skill set to pull from. Then we learned a skill set because we had nothing. My point is, is that when he's like, oh, there might be you know guys on the field who are like, you depressed now? If you, <laughs> I mean, first of all, that's such like a seventh grade thing to worry about. Mm-hmm. Second of all, if you have gone through or experienced depression or you have experienced pain or suffering or struggle, that inherent struggle, that struggle that you have is what makes you strong. So if somebody like walked by me and I know I'm not in the man box and I'm not a man, but they were like, oh, you anxious about this now? I I would not be offended. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, yeah, anxiety got me, it helped me learn a lot of things. It helped me learn about mindfulness. It got me to where I feel like a sense of understanding of my life and who I, who I am. Like anxiety, depression, um, pain, are not inherent weaknesses. They are the other side of the coin of what makes strength. So Skip, he may just be being controversial. And like you said, he's just trying to create this conversation we're having right now. But he believes it's one way or the other versus one equals the other. You can't have one without the other. You know, like people who are like, just be happy, just be joyful. Sometimes the only way you know joy is because you've gone through pain. It's literally the only way you can tap into joy is that you're like, wait, this feels different than the pain I had. Now I know joy. It's just, it's a, um, his viewpoint is outdated. Um, It's It's kind of outdated, but it's also mainstream. Correct. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I understand where it comes from, but what I'm trying to do is be more academic in how I'm saying, because I could sit here and just go, he shouldn't say that, or that it's, that's all wasted energy. What it is is can he get a more expanded viewpoint on what toughness means and where it comes from? Like the whole idea, like he's got a very one-dimensional idea of toughness where the the dimensions of toughness is actually a a geometric equation that he could never even visualize. Well, and I would say that the men in in Dak's huddle, they lost yesterday. I don't know who they lost to. I judge that they are more trustworthy of him now they see him right. as more of a leader now. And maybe not all of them. There's 10 other guys in the huddle. Maybe not all of them, but I'm guessing the majority of them feel like this is a guy that I can count on because he's being honest, he's right. being vulnerable. Right. And that's the first thing I thought of when I was talking to some friends about this yesterday. And, you know, my friend Kevin, it's the first thing he says, like, I would trust him more 
for being vulnerable. And what Skip is saying and what society is conditioning us to say is that you're less trustworthy if you show your vulnerability. So then the two other takes I want, and then we could either keep talking about or move on. One is I've turned into a Dak Prescott fan just for this, just for this one moment. Like I am now going to root for him. And I guess I just want to like, you know, put energy towards somebody who inspires me and Dak, even though I'm sure he's 20 years younger than me, inspires me because he's willing to talk about this. And then my invitation is for parents, you know, if you have young boys and girls, girls need to hear this too, but if you have young boys between the ages of five and 15, play these clips for them and ask them, what do you think about this? Like use this as a conversa- conversation starter and and use it to like spread some of this awareness to the people, you know, these young men uh, now because you got to see it to be it. And unless they see Dak being vulnerable, they all they see is Marvel mm-hmm. and Batman mm-hmm. and Superman yeah. who are emotionless. Right. So we need to see Dak who has quite a bit of influence. I want young cowboy fans to see that this guy, you know, he just talked about how he cried for 30 minutes. What a wonderful message. Well, and that struggle, and again, just to teach our kids that, again, the duality of his struggle and his pain is what creates his toughness. His ability to have a good cry is what gives him the energy to go out there on the field. Like it's, again, I'm just using the word duality because it's not one or the other. One creates the other. You know, it's... um, And when you are, you know, the example you just gave of we point to it and we say to our boys or our girls, what do you think of that? If you don't feel like you want to say it that way, you turn it on and you say your opinion. Mm -hmm. You say, wow, that's a ball player I can get behind. I so appreciate his experience. You can even go deeper and be like, I know depression too. I've had that experience Mm -hmm. and I can really relate to what he said. There's a normalizing. Again, it's... it's understanding depression is not always a chronic, clinical, ongoing, lifelong thing. Depression can be because of this environmental experience we're having. It could be because of grief. It could be, you know, because of loss. And that going through that, having that feeling is not, even though it feels uncomfortable and and we definitely need to ask for help and we need to practice our self-care, it's not a flaw of yours as a human yeah. is, and so again, you know, for those of you who uh, you know know Todd and I, and you know that our um, logo contains the yin yang symbol, and the reason why we chose the yin yang symbol, which comes from you know traditional Chinese culture, you know that's it's a symbol of paradox, right, mm. and a symbol of duality and a symbol of masculine and feminine and how they work together and how you can't have one without the other and how things come from the pressure against each other. So yin is masculine energy, yang is feminine energy, and inside of each side, again, it's a circle with half black, it's like a wave and then Mm -hmm. half black, half white. Inside the black is a dot of white, inside the white is a a dot of black, meaning they're interconnected and there is no masculine without feminine. There is no, like we said, toughness without the experience of pain, you know, and and grit. Um, And, you know, well, I was going to go down a different track, but I'm going to stop for a second. So what I think is the most important thing that you just shared is when you're, you know, we're having this pretend conversation with our kids is when you can share as the parent, when you have felt depressed. Sure. And 
I think when our kids are born, like they're awesome and they're perfect and they're amazing. And then they get to be four or five and you want to like maintain this perfection, both in them and in how they view us. And I feel like there needs to be like a decision at some point, like, okay, now I'm going to show them that I'm a, a regular human being with a regular set of emotions. And I feel like we never kind of get that like note in our Google calendar. Okay, my kid just turned six years old. It's time for me to to show that I'm just a grown up person that has the same range of emotions, that has the same challenges that you do when you go to school and when you're in first grade. So I just feel like it's an important teachable moment to be able to make sure that your kid knows that this is normal and that you're perfect even through your sadness and your fear and your joy and your depression. Like it's all part of the pack. And the sadness is perfect because that's how we're created. We are literally hardwired to be empathetic and compassionate and feel pain when others feel pain. So if you're looking at a football player who's like, I feel no pain, then that's, that's non-human. Mm-hmm. And and some may say, well, that's cool. You know, that's like Batman, but that's not a real person. And we can have, basically, it's a recipe for disaster if we're going to send our kids out on a football field and say, feel no pain, <laughs> because it might work in the moment. They may get a moment of glory or, you know, they may be cool for a little bit, but the long-term effects of really believing that pain is not okay or believing that pain is something to avoid or pretend you don't have and again, even with that understanding, so, you know, what is our goal when we have these conversations? It's about expanding our perspective. It's not about just Todd and I saying, parents don't do that, or parents tell your boys this, or parents tell your girls this. I want you to see it and feel it and understand it in your own skin. I want you to understand that what you were taught was surfacy, and the truth is more expanded and, and, uh, multi-layered. Yeah. I was going to say, I think of like a spectrum, like, uh, it's, it's 360 degrees. It's three dimensional. It's not, you know, this or that black and white. It's like whole. Right. And people don't like that because they like their certainty. They like to be like, my boy's either tough or weak. My girl is either, is either nice or mean. Yeah. Our ego is designed to pick one. Right. We like our, our binary and our polarity, but, um, I want to read something just about the yin yang from the Tao because there's actually the, the 42nd verse of the Tao says the Tao is the one from the one come yin and yang. From these two, creative energy. From energy, 10,000 things, the forms of all creation. All life embodies the yin and embraces the yang through their union, achieving harmony. So you can't have one without the other. Mm. And so I guess, what does that have to do with Dak? You know, like we're, yeah. we're getting like sidetracked, but we're not because the belief that Skip is saying that tends to be more universal, as you're saying, is doesn't embody the yeah, it's just one polarity, side. right? Exactly, and the and it's not human. Yeah, it is, and this is the problem. Like getting to this current event of 2020, current events with an S, is our lack of humanity and dignity. For somebody who doesn't know what the Tao Te Ching is, can you explain that? What is it? Well, it's a uh, a sacred text that was written forever ago. I, how long ago was the Tao written? I think like two thousand before, two thousand years before Jesus, or something like that. Yes, like it's you know it's been around forever. It's a 
considered a um, Lao Tzu. Right? Yeah, Lao. Yeah, I would say Lao Tzu, but I think it is Sue. Mm-hmm. It you know my pronunciations can be very it's, off. It's a badass book. Yeah, and there's one specific on parenting. That is really good. Do you remember which one that was? Well, it's not one. It was somebody wrote a book and they called it the Tao. It's the yeah, Tao Te Ching of parenting. They interpreted William the Tao Martin. through the lens of parenting. Correct. And it's so funny because sometimes it's good to read a dense book, mm-hmm. but these are a bunch of like, for lack of a better term, short poems or short verses. And it allows you to kind of like get creative within the words that is being communicated. It's just, it's, it's something you could pick up whenever, pick turn to any page and get something out of it. It's actually called The Parents Tao Te Ching, which we have like 10 copies, Ancient Advice for Modern Parents. And I got really, just as like a side personal note, my publisher, my current publisher of the Zen Parenting book, they published that book. Mm. And my, the, the editor, the first time I talked to him on the phone, he's like, have you ever heard of, you know, this book by William, you know, Murrow? And I'm like, or William Martin. And I'm like, uh, yeah, mm. like I have, I have like 10 copies of it. So it felt like a good connection for me. So the last thing before we can talk about whatever you want to talk about, my darling, yes. is um, th- above, not above, in addition to everything we just said regarding uh-huh. Dak Prescott, it's about uh, the stigma. You yes. know, we've, yes. we've done our little walks for NAMI, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness. And one thing I've learned from participating and contributing to that organization, I think one year, like the theme was light the dark. Yeah. It's always light the dark. Is that what it always is? Mm -hmm. And it's just, we have to talk about this, Mm -hmm. especially as a man, we need to continue to talk about this. I've been in rooms and circles of men where they are brave enough and vulnerable enough to, to share these kind of deep, dark feelings in the same way that Dak just shared. And for me, it's just, let's keep talking about it and normalize it. Absolutely. Because I will say, generally speaking, this isn't true for all, but generally speaking, men tend to be very extroverted with their lack of feeling, meaning they're more, um, sometimes when they are repressing what they feel or have for a long period of time, that sneaks out through violence Mm -hmm. and through, um, you know, addiction and through, um, anger and with women, when they repress their feelings, it gets internalized more and it comes through like, you know, their own anxiety, self-hatred, eating disorders, depression. Now those can go both ways. Like there are some women who are violent and angry and there are some men who turn it inwards with depression. But the point is, is that we can't escape our emotional experiences. Our emotional experiences are energy that we have to understand um, and relate to them and self-regulate them. Mm-hmm. Self-regulation does not mean keep them from happening. It means allowing for them, understanding them, talking about them, and then moving through. Yeah. There is no way around. There's yeah. only through. And so well, it's a relationship. And, and to kind of maybe to continue to finish this conversation, I think uh, I think Terry Real taught me this, who's a psychologist out in Massachusetts, and he wrote a book called I Don't Want to Talk About It, yeah. and it's about adult male depression specific yeah. to men, and anger that we see on the news and domestic abuse and all that, many times, or maybe all the time, I don't know, the anger that comes out is just externalized depression. Exactly. So it's funny, like, you know, we think depression doesn't have anything to do with me, but I got an anger management problem. Like, actually, you probably do have some type of depression or some inability to feel something. And it comes out as 
you know, vomiting all over somebody else with some bad behaviors. Yeah. Like in the moment, sometimes we, as you know, uh, therapists talk about in the moment, anger can come out when we feel sad and depressed, yeah. right? Or excuse me, sad and embarrassed. Yeah. Like as soon as we feel the feeling of sadness or embarrassment, we react with anger. And then, like you said, the long-term effect, the long-term effect of repressing those feelings that we have been told are not masculine enough is it becomes an inherent depression, a more chronic depression, yeah. more clinical depression. And then that shows up as kind of the way we interact with the world. So it can be momentary anger or it can be like an ongoing, just kind of cynical, mm -hmm. um, you know, re retaliating, um, abusive kind of version. It can show up in so many different ways. So, um, all right. Announcement team Zen. Yeah. We just did our 101st podcast. You want to know what I titled it, sweetie? I can't wait. School anxiety, complacency, and messy rooms. Huh. Those are the three topics we talked about on last week's Zen talk. We have another one coming up next week. If you're interested in joining this very small, intimate community of basically Zen parenting listeners, Kathy and I lead this Zen talk where it's kind of like a live podcast. So if you're interested in that, um, we are offering a free month and just type in the coupon code friend, F-R-I-E-N-D. Um, we would love to see you. Great. Anything else you want to share before? No. All right. I think we've talked about Team Zen enough. All right. I mean, when I say enough, we're going to keep talking about it, but we tend to talk about it every week. Sure. Be, and people are, you know, they join and we've got people from all over the country and I just love the relationships that get formed on Team Zen. Sweetie, all over the world. All we over the world. New Zealand. You're right. And 100%. Australia. Where else? England. Any other countries I'm thinking, I'm forgetting about? There's someone from Italy. Italy. Yeah, I don't know. But anyways, it's kind of cool. It is. So the- Canada. Canada, of course. So you got 23 minutes or so based on whatever is you well, want to talk about. Well, I'm not going to start anything new okay. because I think that what we've talked about so far has been really good. But what I wanted to add to it is that uh, there's we've done some shows where um, we've talked about uh, order, disorder, and reorder. Um, and we, Todd and I got that from uh, Richard Rohr who is, for those of you who don't know Richard Rohr, and his last name is spelled R-O-H-R, um, French, Franciscan, Francis, how do I say that? Franciscan monk. Franciscan, thank you. You went to Loyola, so you know what that is. Um, Franciscan monk. Um, so he's clergy, mm -hmm. yeah? Would yeah. you say that? Yeah. And Christian clergy. And he is somebody that we have followed forever and read his books. And I think about Rob Bell, who was one of our speakers at our conference a few years ago. I kind of, even though they're different in maybe what they do, um, they have kind of that that same similar um, way that they look at spirituality and understanding our own connection to universe or God, yeah. you know, whatever word you want to use. So... The reason I'm bringing this up is because I I get I feel a lot of connection to Richard Rohr and I love the way he teaches and the way he speaks about our connection to spirit and God and I get a newsletter that he sends out every day. Did you know he sends out a newsletter? Yeah, every you forward day? it to me when you like it. So yesterday or maybe it, it was this morning, I don't know when it came through, but there was something that he wrote that I thought was so powerful and it kind of works with what we're talking about here. Can I just, I just want to give our listeners the ability to hear his sure, voice. Please. Yes. Cause he's so lovely. He's got such a wonderful, yeah. like grandpa voice. So sit for 20 minutes. Yeah. In silence. Do you call that meditation or do you just call it sitting in silence? Um, uh, 
I, I use the word contemplation more, but those are just words. Just words. just words. There, it's all words. Uh, That's enough. I just wanted people to have... Oh, play a little more. Really? I want to hear what he has to say about words. All right. And I, I need to stay there as long as it takes for me to get to the moment of rest. So some days I have to sit longer than 20 minutes. Some days I'll, I cheat. I can get there in two minutes where it's okay. It's, uh, it's all okay. I, I, I've handed it over to God and, and I'm not gonna take issues and personas back onto myself. Mm. He's, like a, he's like our spiritual grandpa, Todd, uh. and I really love him. Um, but he, and, and part of the reason we love him is because he's, he's steadfast in his beliefs, meaning that he has his own foundational elements, you know, like Zen Parenting's foundational elements, you know, if you look at our website and what we always focus on is mindfulness, self-awareness, connection, and compassion. And those are really our founding elements, right? Those are the things that we focus on, but we talk about a lot of different things and have a lot of different opinions around those things. Um, we have a ton of uncertainty. We have a, a ton of not having clarity, but even those kind of conversations are done within that framework sure. of connection and, you know, compassion and mindfulness and self-awareness. And so I feel like Richard Rohr's whole intention is just love. Mm. Like everything he focuses on is just love and well, how to did be you, loving. Did you hear how she, he's like, sometimes I, I cheat and I get there in two minutes. Like, yes. thank you. Like, I don't want a teacher telling me I'm going to get in trouble for not praying enough or not meditating enough. And that is exactly why I'm saying that because as much as he takes a lot of learning from scripture and he uses a lot of scripture. He mm. does. He doesn't use it as dogma. He doesn't use it as if you don't do this, you won't be loved. Love is love is love is love is love. And he all he talks about is the way he he's got a more human approach. Yes. Let's say that in a contemporary. Yes. And I don't mean he's changed the value system. He's helped us hear it in this day and time and how it applies in 2020. So. You were just talking about before this about Dak and about his, um, you know, experiencing depression, of course, because he lost his brother. And and it also says, I just read as you were reading to me that they lost their mother to colon yes, cancer. Which is one of the reasons why his brother, brother probably took his own life. Exactly. And so there's a lot of pain in there and yeah. a lot of loss and it's wounding. And, and we have traumatic wounding from our childhood, but we also have a wounding, just any loss is like a new wound. Like... Todd, I, I think you and I were having this conversation, but I know I've had this conversation with uh, with Aunt, my friend Annie Burnside. We were talking about how the hardest part of any pain is the first moment of awareness where you hear it for the first time. My, I guess what I'll say is like I'll give a, a personal example that's happened recently. Um, so my mom um, has been diagnosed with dementia and she now needs more support and, you know, things have changed in her life, obviously, and in all of our lives. Um and the hardest part, and I'll always remember because it was the day before my birthday this year, where I really like kind of fell to the ground about it, was the day I realized that everything was different, that we had crossed over, you know, because I kind of knew this was coming and we're all kind of like, yeah, this is coming. But the day I realized my mom is, things are not the same and they never will be. And that day was devastating, right? Now, the next day was my birthday and I actually was, still had the same knowledge, but didn't have the same pain because there was kind of a, I had taken in the pain and cried through the pain and I was like, okay, now what do I do? And I told Todd a story that I had seen a um, 
I was listening to, uh, it was a podcast and it was about a woman who always went with the police to tell family members when someone had been killed, Mm. either in a car accident or some kind of, you know, accident and the family didn't know. And she would go with the police and knock on the door. And she said, in every situation, when you first tell family that somebody has died in that kind of setting, they fall to the floor. Literally. Literally. Their body falls to the floor or they keel over or if they're sitting, they, they kind of topple over themselves. And she said... They have this kind of like, she goes, it usually lasts around 20 minutes where there's this taking in of the information. And then after that, after about 20 minutes, she goes, it's like clockwork. They'll say, okay, what do we need to do next? Do we need to make arrangements? Do you need? And she said, it's just interesting where you start to see how it, the hardest part, again, there's all sorts of hard parts because grief is not over that moment. You've just begun. But it's kind, I always see it as, for me, the most painful. It's like the, fir- it's like the knife going through you, right? Well, and I have a very, not similar story, but I mean, I'll get vulnerable. My mom died, I think, six years ago, and we took her into the hospital. And you talk about grief. It's the waves. Right. The waves Grief compress. still comes. Right. So, so the waves come in and out. But my hardest moment was laying with her in a hospital bed when I had the honest assessment that she wasn't going to get out of the hospital. Correct. And it was on a Wednesday. I right. know what day it was. Yep. I know my sister listens to this podcast. She'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And it was painful is not the right word. It's overwhelming. Helpless, mm-hmm. hopeless, awful, intoxicating. Mm -hmm. And then the next, and then she died on Saturday. All the moments between that, and even the moment of her death, which I happened to be there for, was not as bad as that Wednesday Mm -hmm. moment. The Wednesday moment and my moment the day before my birthday is when life changed. Yes. Do you see what I mean? Like there's a moment or it's like getting a diagnosis for your child, Mm -hmm. or it's like when you hear for the first time that, you know, you're getting an ultrasound and they're like there's going to be a challenge with this baby or that's the moment yeah. because your life just changed. You just went from, I thought everything was okay and now it's not okay. My world shifted. Sh- shifted. Not shifted. It was, a, it was an earthquake. Shattered. Shattered. But then what's human is when things shatter, we have the ability to put them back together. Mm-hmm. There will always be, you will be able to tell that it was shattered, yeah. meaning there's... You could still see the tear. Exactly. Like you the, can mend it up, but you could still see it. There's a word, and I'm going to look it up. So there's literally this word in Japanese culture, and I just looked it up to make sure, that it it's called kint sugi. Kint sugi. And I'm sorry, my obviously my pronunciation is not perfect. And what does that mean? But it literally means gold joinery. And what that means... Okay, so... I, I have an example for you. Okay. You remember in Star Wars? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Do you remember Kylo Ren? Yes. He smashes his helmet. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then in the next movie, you see that he's wearing his helmet again, but it's got this gold lining through it. He pieced it back together 
He took the shattered pieces and put them back together, and there's gold running through it where mm. it was shattered. Okay. That literally is taken from Japanese culture, and basically what that means is the belief that the beauty comes from the cracks. Mm. Okay? So we are. So you'll see a lot of bowls in Japanese culture that have that gold, like they were cracked or broken, and then they mend them with that gold, mm. and then that's where the beauty is. The yeah. beauty comes through the cracks, right? Yeah. And so... Why I bring that up is that you were just saying about how you were shattered mm. and we have the ability to piece us back together. And going back to what Dak said is his toughness or his strength comes from the ability to pull himself back together. And that scar that we experience is our beauty. Mm. That's where the that's where the light shines through. Yeah. Right. That's where we became more human and more connected to the human it's experience. It's tapped into like this deep sadness that was also beautiful. Correct. Because joy and pain are like on opposite sides of the wall. Yeah, you know two sides I mean? of the same coin. Exactly. So I say all that. I've like been waiting to <laughs> I was just gonna read to you this thing from Richard Rohr, but it goes deep, right? Because yeah. it's about wounding. Okay, so I'm gonna read this. Again, from Richard Rohr's uh, uh, newsletter. He said it's about wounding. It always comes through the wounding. What we do when faced with our deepest wounds determines whether there is authentic spirituality at work or not. If we seek to blame other people, accuse, attack, or even explain and make perfect logical sense out of our wound, there will be no further spiritual journey. But if when the wound happens, we find the grace and the freedom to somehow see that it's not just a wound but a sacred wound... Then the journey progressive progresses. Then we set out to find ourselves and the truth. It's all about what each of us does with the wound. If we ourselves have never walked through suffering, whether it be betrayal or abandonment, rejection, divorce, loss of job, struggle with sexuality, we probably will give people head, he put in quotes, head answers, right? Like academic answers. We don't touch or heal their hearts because our own hearts have not been transformed. I don't think it's any accident that in most of Jesus's healings, he physically touches people. He's showing that healing cannot be done through the head or through explanations, theories, theologies, or quick logical conclusions. It must somehow be a communication of life and love energy, even held at our cellular level. So I love that. And it made me think, I was actually on the phone with a friend this morning, and he is very open to me about he was sexually assaulted when he was a younger person. And, um, you know, like, what do you do with that? Correct. Like, how do you make sense out of something that is so illogical or nonsensical? Like, why would anybody... Painful. Painful. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the, the only, maybe not the only answer, one of the answers is to use it to help others. And he was telling me about a f somebody that he knows who happened to experience something similar. And all of a sudden he was in the mentor role, the teaching role Correct. to help this other man exactly. go through it. And I feel like that's the only way to make sense out of this. Because I think what a lot of times is we get controlled by some of this crappy stuff that happened to Correct. us. And we live from victim consciousness. Or, or I, shame. Or shame. And there, we've all been victims of something. I had parents that sometimes fought with each other and I thought I wasn't loved. That is that I was a victim in that moment. But for me to kind of keep using that as my excuse not to do or be whatever I want to be, then that in my judgment is some type of victim consciousness 
like you, you have to transform this. Correct. And and I'm 100% with you. Nothing that you said I disagree with, but we always have to be really careful with I'm not going to keep being a victim because what we have to remember is that victim mentality is not a choice. It comes from shame. Mm. So we have to work through our shame. So how do you get through it? Correct. You're saying through shame work. Correct. Like. Because the, it's really easy to say to somebody, well, I'm done being a victim. It's like, well, wait a second. This is based in something that's deeper than just choosing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm like, I'm a victim. I'm not a victim. Yeah. Like in we in in our society, and I'm I'm totally down with this. But we'll change the words. Yeah. You know, we'll say, "Well, I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor." I'm totally with that, and mm. I agree with it. But that doesn't mean somebody internally changes. You got to do your changes. work for it to transform. Exactly, and I think those two things go together. If you're doing your work and you're like, "Wait a second, I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor, and I'm helping other people," then those two things happen in unison. That's the whole idea of what I sometimes do is I skip over the Correct. disorder and go right to the reorder Perfect. you're talking about doing the work and for like what does that mean the work for me it's investigating what's going on inside of me do i feel shameful about something what's that all about what does this remind me of um what was it here to originally protect me from like that's the work so two people that i think in the spotlight who have been really helpful in this kind of um this kind of conversation and i'll use it just because i think a lot of people have heard these stories I'm talking about your client or your friend who experienced molestation as a young boy, which is a lot more common than I think we understand. Like for men who men, a lot of boys have been molested and a lot of boys don't talk about it. Well, and one quick thing, this happened when he was 21 years old. Which can even be more confusing, right? right? Because he'll be like, but I was an adult. Uh, So shame is a really big piece. Okay. So- Two, so Oprah Winfrey and Dax Shepard have both talked about these things openly. They were both molested and they both said the same thing about their experience with shame. And it was that with um, Oprah, she, the thing that she felt no one ever talked about was that even though she did not want the experience, choose the experience, and she was way too young to handle the experience, what was confusing to her is at times it felt good. Mm. And so then the shame got internalized yes. because her body betrayed her. And I say her body betrayed her because that happens to young boys too sometimes when they have a biological response and they think that must have meant that I liked it. Yeah, It's not. Right. But that's what confuses. Dax shared a story, Dax Shepard, on his podcast, and he talks about this a lot, is that the man who molested him... Dax continued to go back because he wanted something from that man. Mm. He got a need fulfilled that had nothing to do with molestation, yeah. but he he felt that he was a part of that experience, that he his desire for something from that man created that scenario. Yeah. Do you see so do you see how shame, it's very easy, like you said, to skip over and say, I'm just not gonna be a victim. But you first have to deal with yeah. all those pieces. Yeah. And then you can start saying, now I, I can work through that. Because shame is, it's brutal. Yeah. Like it, it just, well, it drowns us. Um, and will you remind everybody the difference between guilt and shame? Yeah. So guilt is I did something wrong. I chose something wrong. Um, I made a wrong turn. And shame is I am wrong. I am I, I am wrong. I am wrong. Period. Yeah. I, who I am is wrong. So guilt is more like I chose something and now I'm going to choose something different. And shame is I'm inherently a wrong person. Yeah. So that's why shame will drown us. Guilt yeah. can teach us. Mm. Guilt 
guilt can actually be it can be useful. Yeah, because we can be like, oh, I felt like crap. Nothing that I did useful that. comes from shame. Correct. Nothing useful. Yeah, drowns us. And it's and it's interesting on Brene Brown's podcast because she studies shame. They she has a lot of guests that talk about that even when we have a situation where we're going up against something that we believe to be dark or something that we believe to be we're right and they're wrong. Like let's just talk politics. Using shame to make our point, even if we're and I'm putting this in quotes, correct or right, is still not effective or helpful. Yeah. Like shame is not a good tool for helping people learn. Yeah. They think it's a motivating thing. Right. There's nothing good comes out of nothing it. Nothing good comes out of it. So that you know that kind of that's interesting that thing the Richard Rohr thing that we just read it really does connect not only to to order disorder reorder but to Dak Dak's story yeah. yeah I'm getting confused between Dak and Dax um, and just how there are how we experience our pain is not there's nothing weak about it it's part of being human and that's where our strength grows i one last story is um glennon always talks about um who's glennon well everybody knows glennon no okay glennon doyle author of untamed and carry on warrior and love warrior todd always makes me say these things because he's like not everybody knows glennon in a lot of her speaking engagements and maybe even in her book i can't remember because i've heard her talk about it so much is people will um you know parents will ask her like how do i teach my kid to be kind and resilient and you know and all these things that we want our kids to be and she'll say back to them where does kind and resilience and strength come from and the parents will realize it comes from pain mm. and that sometimes when we're protecting our children too much from their failures or from their pain or from their negative experiences we don't give them the opportunity to learn kindness resilience and um strength yeah so we've got to see the again duality of all of our emotions. And that's all I have to say about that. So I am going to close out this show um, first um, with a U2 song, at least 30 seconds Great. of each, because in it, it's called The Sweetest Thing, which I think most U2 fans know. Mm -hmm. But in it, there's a line there, you can sew it up, you can still see the tear. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of similar to what you're talking about regarding... About the... the yeah, I dare you Japanese. to try to say it I again. I know, I had to pull it up because I was... While you're pulling it up, I want to say thank you to Jeremy Kraft. He's bald... And he's a bald-headed beauty. He was just over at our house the other he's day. He's over at our house. Kint Sugi. Kint Sugi. Which actually means gold joining. Hmm. So Kint is the word gold and Sugi is joining. But I'm not saying it very well. I apologize for my um, my pronunciations. No, no problem, sweetie. Thank on behalf of everybody, I'll say it's okay. Okay. Um, He's a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. You know, in this these times of COVID, maybe it's time to put in a home office. Oh, it's funny. I didn't even talk about this, but I read a CNN article, and it was about how moms who work, they are getting like last dibs on where to be in the home office. Like the dad's got his office. Sure. The kid sure. who's who's virtual learning yeah. have have the next best spot. And the yeah. poor mom is walking around with her laptop right. figuring or, out where to be. Do you want to know where my a lot of my clients are when mm. we're talking? They go sit in their car. Right. Yep. One why like, is the dad's space more uh, He's gotta do the man work. <laughs> 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 He's got to do the man work. That's so great. Uh, There's 
Like, and I want, I want, like, think about that. Like, if, if you're listening right now and you need space, is your husband taking, uh, just is it assumed that he gets the best spot? And can you take responsibility for being able to saying, no, no, that's fine. Yep. No, no, that's fine. Yep. Because that, and again, I'm not blaming man or woman. I'm saying sometimes we have this unwritten rule that we don't ever question, which is, you know, he gets an office and I don't, and I don't deserve one. And he does. And we don't even talk about it. Like, um, I sent Todd, okay. My friend Diane sent me this funny, um, meme and it's this picture of this man, um, proposing to this woman, this woman, and she's carrying these bags. And all it says is, will you do me the honor of taking on even more responsibilities while my life remains largely unchanged? It just made me laugh so hard. And men who are listening, I know you work hard. This is not a, um, I'm not trying to be divisive or say you're not working hard. It's just one of those emotional labor things where, you know, sometimes things in relationships, in, you know, male, female partnerships sometimes. And if you find yourself reactive to that joke meme, investigate it. Yeah. Like I laughed because I, we even had an exchange going with some friends. I said, this is me to this day (laughs) in this moment. I still, my life is, is less changed than yours. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and I can really speak to that in that just by, just because I have the children who come out of my body, that just is inherently going to be the case, right? Not only am I going to be pregnant and nurse and, but one thing I write about in the Zen parenting book is about how, and we, and I talk about on the show is, you know, once I was pregnant, there was never a question of Todd stopping work or being mm-hmm. part-time. There was never a question of him giving up his office for something I needed. I quit my job. I changed my life. I stopped going to Target. I stopped having social events. One of Todd and my biggest arguments was there was one time I was home trying to nurse JC and she was struggling. She had a cold and he kept butt dialing me from a wedding he was at. Sweetie, it was an awesome And I could hear Dancing Queen in the background every time I answered the phone. He didn't even know he was doing it. And it was just a moment of my life is so different. And he's with his friends at a wedding it, why was I not at the wedding? Like, let's just go deep there. Sweetie, it was a wonderful wedding. You missed out. <laughs> you should have been there. The moral of the story is build an office and hire Jeremy to do it. <laughs> there we go. That's the moral of the story. And 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 maybe at least, like, Todd and I share an office. We oh. I have my own office for therapy, but he and I have an office that we share, and that can work too. Sure. But it's just as much just have the conversation. It's ours. Yeah our office O-U-R-S so here's that U2 song we'll see you guys next week Um, keep trucking
Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing Podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.